You're listening to the New Life Church Sunday Morning Podcast. We're a family of believers in Anderson, Missouri, that want to experience God in a real way, both inside and outside the walls of a building. For more Sunday messages, upcoming events, or to get in touch, visit new-life-church.net. We are back in Jonah this morning. If you are new with us, we are working through a series in Jonah here. Um, I don't know about you, but it's been a delight to me to study it and to um, present it, to teach it. Um, what it's doing for me and opening my eyes to our God, our Savior, um, how a man who is God's prophet can fail miserably, and yet God still continue to love him and be merciful to him along the way. Uh, that gives me great hope. I hope it's doing the same for you as well. I have to confess, I am a little surprised not to see more of you with pillows and jammies on this morning in light of what I heard about last week while I was gone. I uh, had the privilege of receiving several pictures, so uh, Gary, you were told on, uh, just so you know, and I know all about it. (laughs) No, I appreciate you, Gary. Appreciate how God has gifted you and the ability to teach that you're willing to share that with us. I think it's a blessing for us that you guys don't have to hear from me week in and week out. I'm grateful for Tony, who also does, and Brian when he's in town, and Khalif a couple weeks ago, and others. I'm so very thankful for the gifts and blessing God has given our body, and I know that you guys are as too, and I think about our leaders who are serving our kids this morning, uh, right now, with the young ones. Uh, I think about the leaders who serve our kids on Wednesday nights and prepare all week for each Wednesday night, and and all the -the behind-the-scenes stuff that they do on a regular basis. I don't know if you, I mean, Heather's kind of over that on Wednesday nights, but she's here multiple times during the week getting ready for that. Not to mention the many other things that she and Jimmy do for the church body. And I think about our life group leaders. I think about those who are leading life groups here on Sunday mornings. I'm so grateful for their heart, for their word, their heart to, to, to lead out in that way. Those who are leading life groups in their homes, not here as well during the week. I think about the ladies who sacrifice their time and share their gifts of preparing food into scrumptious and delicious ways and and share our body share with our body that on a monthly basis and how they share in other ladies who aren't even on that team necessarily but that bring food to those of us who have had times of crisis and need uh, or the blessings of a new little one and the ladies that have shared in that way very thankful for Gary and Tony and the other elders here and just their shepherding hearts their love for you guys first and foremost their love for the Lord their desire to serve you guys, their desire to pray with them, their, their laughter, their friendship. Um, I say these things just as, as an offering of thanks to the Lord because it's truly from Him and for Him and through Him that it's possible. And so just encourage you guys as well to be grateful in that way. So last time we were in Jonah, quick review here, last time we were in Jonah, wait, I've got to make sure. The kids are out, right? I've dismissed them. I haven't forgot. We've done the offering. Okay, I'm just going down my list. Just had to make sure. I've been known, to, been known to forget. So last time we were in Jonah, we saw how the pagan sailors were showing far more of a proper response to the situation of the storm and being on the ship than Jonah, God's prophet, and how they were exemplifying behaviors above deck 
that represented more how a believer should respond to a time of crisis or a situation than Jonah was, who was below deck. The sailors were alert to the situation. They were crying out to prayer, albeit to the wrong God or gods, but they were crying out in prayer. They were sacrificing their cargo, their livelihood, their income, possibly their reputation, in, a, in answer to hopefully appease the storm, in answer to hopefully get answers that they weren't getting or understanding. Jonah, he was in denial. He was in hiding. He was checked out. He was asleep at the lowest part, the darkest part of the ship in a raging storm, checked into the ship's belly motel. And then the captain, an unbeliever, had to go down to where Jonah was, shake him awake and say, get up, get up, cry out to your God, pray. An unbeliever crying out to the believer saying, get up and pray. Instead, Jonah should have been above deck, taking advantage of the opportunity to share with them the answer, his God, his Lord, the one who is the solution to the storms of life. He could have been sharing him and about him with these pagan sailors, and instead he was, he was not. And then we talked about how we, as believers, there's, there's two types of people, period, right? There's... It, it, we have different cultures, backgrounds, genders. Yes, there are men and there are women, and that's it. And outside of those differences, there's, we're saved and we're not. We're believers and unbelievers. And that is the biggest categorical difference that we need to be aware of as believers. And as a believer, we are on the hook to sharing the gospel with others, to sharing the good news of Savior, of our Savior with those around us. It is the absolute best way to love God, to love others, to fulfill the great commandment. And of course, it is fulfilling the great commission. And we talked about how it's not a formula. It's not a formula at all. It's, it's, it's per circumstances, per situation, but it's about being alert like the sailors were. And it's about being in prayer, about the opportunity and God giving you the words to respond and we did share a tool, though. We talked about the Three Circles tool. That's a free app that you can download on your phone or your tablet. And it, it can be a resource to walk through, to be a tool. And as I shared last time, I've had it on my phone for a year and a half. And I'll flip through it every so often just to be reminded of it, to be, keep myself aware of the opportunity and the need to share the gospel. But I've never used it. And I've had the opportunity to share the gospel several times, multiple times with people. And so... It doesn't mean that this will be the way that you get to, but it's a resource and it's free. And so it's something that we can use. There's other tools out there as well. So as we continue, like I said, in the book of Jonah this morning, there's an interesting article I came across in my study and prep time that I wanted to share with you that kind of brings to light uh, the focus and the theme of our message, of our message this morning. Uh, you can see the wordplay in the title, the who with the parentheses of the S-E, are you? Whose are you? So this article is written by Brandon O'Brien about a time and experience he had in college. And it's posted on the website ChristianityToday.com. And it was posted several years ago, June of 2011. And it's titled, Is Patriotism Christian? Is Patriotism Christian? He says in his story, One Sunday morning in college, I attended church with an Austrian friend who hadn't been to many American churches. So after the service, I asked him what he thought of the experience. It was fine, he said. 
I could tell something was troubling him, so I pressed him a bit. Finally, he said, hey, why is there an American flag by the pulpit? Good question. Honestly, though, I had never even noticed. Every summer in vacation Bible school, we pledge our allegiance to the American flag, then the Christian flag, then the Bible. Our church's second largest weekend celebration after Christmas was the 4th of July. Why wouldn't there be an American flag in the sanctuary? But for him, and I would later discover for many Christians who are not Americans, the presence of the flag in the sanctuary signals too close a relationship between Christian faith and American patriotism. The article then goes on and O'Brien explains in the article that patriotism is not a bad thing and cites scripture that encourages us to follow the laws of the land. That's in Romans 13. Pray for and be grateful for our leaders our leaders who are in power over us, 1 Timothy 2, 1 and 2, and even work to help the land we live in prosper. That's in Jeremiah 29, verses 5 to 7. But he then challenges us not to interchange patriotism or nationalism with our faith. Or challenge us also to not replace our primary duty to love and glorify God with nationalism. This article got me thinking. I was born and raised in the United States. I've been in church my whole life. I can't ever remember a church. I attended Christian schools where we had the flags. I can't ever remember a church not having the flag in it. So I've never looked at it through the eyes of somebody who is not born and raised here. Personally, never thought of it this way. And that's what got me thinking. And I hope this article also gets you thinking in that direction as well. Do I display a life that is more concerned with what country I live in or possibly even what I do for a living than whom I serve? Our time together in Jonah today is a case of mistaken identity for Jonah. The who he is and the whose he is. But God points him out as a reason for the very storm that he and the sailors were in. So we're going to read our verses this morning, our text this morning. Jonah chapter 1, verses 7 through 10. If you're willing and able, would you mind to stand with me and read this with me? Reading verses 7 through 10 should be on the screen. Come on, the sailors said to each other, let's cast lots. Then we'll know who is to blame for this trouble we're in. So they cast lots, and the lot singled out Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us who is to blame for this trouble we're in. What is your business, and where are you from? What is your country, and what people are you from? He answered them, I'm a Hebrew. I worship the Lord, the God of the heavens, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were seized by a great fear and said to him, what is this you've done? The men knew he was fleeing from the Lord's presence because he told them. Amen. You may be seated. At this point, the sailors appear to believe that this storm is of supernatural origin and power. Um, we talked before about how scared they were. And these were seasoned, uh, not cowardly men. And they were seized with a great fear. And so in order to try to figure this out, they had been crying out to their gods to no avail. They had been sacrificing the cargo overboard, trying to light the load to no avail. They weren't getting answers. The storm was still raging. 
Scripture doesn't tell us for how long. So they decided to implore a common practice. In fact, Scripture noted, notes many times, I think over 70 times, one historian said that Scripture talks about casting lots to help determine an answer when you came to an impasse. And as best as historians are able to tell, casting lots is a tossing of rocks of multiple colors or symbols on them. They'd be marked on them. And sometimes they might even use sticks, various lengths of sticks. Um, but most of the history and things that I was able to dig up believed it had more to do with rocks and sticks. If a certain rock, either by color or symbol, fell toward somebody, or a length of stick was chosen, or if all the colors but one fell toward someone, then that would help them determine who was to be chosen for that moment, that decision, or what they were supposed to do in that case. And then they would then know that the gods or God then picked that answer or that person uh, to they know what to move forward with. After the day of Pentecost, though, we no longer see that in Scripture. And because God sent the Holy Spirit. And so this was not used anymore. God would use the casting of lots, what we might kind of think of as a rolling of dice today, um, to help determine outcomes and different things. But today, it's not needed. We have the Holy Spirit that God sent, that dwells and lives within us. It's our counselor and our teacher. We have his word written, available to us electronically for free, anytime, anywhere. <laughs> as well as in our hands that we can go to for guidance. And so we do not see that practiced anymore. The sailors casted lots, and God providently pointed the finger of blame squarely on Jonah as the reason for the storm. Now, I don't know about you, if you're sitting there casting lots, and you, you're kind of keeping your mouth shut this whole time, if you're Jonah, and all of a sudden the lots point at you, and you know these sailors have been crying out, trying to save themselves, save the ship. They've just thrown their income overboard. <laughs> they had to come down and wake you up. <laughs> you might be feeling a little squirmish about now. I definitely would be. And he still was not saying anything. The sailors also were going, okay, well, how are we going to go about this? How are we going to figure this out? They're not gonna, we're going to tick off the god or gods that's causing this storm any further. So they want to go about this carefully so that they don't guarantee and seal their death. So they begin to ask Jonah some defining questions. And we see that in verse 8. Uh, Tim Keller says that it were questions of identity that they were trying to figure out who Jonah was, why he was there, what was he doing. What is your business? The first question they ask. Or you might say, what is your mission? Why are you here? For what purpose? There would be other ways to say that in our language today. Where are you from? Your country? Who are your people? What is your culture? This is the nationality, the ethnic question. In the sailors' minds, who, Jun who Jonah was and what or who he worshipped were inextricably linked. Okay, did you follow that? Who Jonah was and what or who he worshipped were inextricably linked. I believe that that's very true of all of us and all humans throughout the ages. Tim Keller does a great job of explaining this by bringing this to light uh, by using the example of two Roman mythological gods as, exam 
as examples. Uh, first of all, the God of Mercury, the God of commerce. Okay, pull back the old uh, world history and all that. Pull that out of your mind here for a minute. And while most of us probably do not know somebody who has a statue of the God of Mercury in their home that they're like kneeling down before and praying to and things like that, we could all name a few people, I bet, that seems to be worshiping career and money or commerce, right? So while there's not the stone or wood statue, uh, we're still practicing the same thing in idolatry by worshiping career or money. He also mentions Venus, the goddess of beauty. And again, there's probably not a statue of Venus in somebody's home or on their phone that they're pulling up and praying to every day that we probably don't know anybody doing that, right? I'm not saying it's not happening. We just... I don't personally know of anybody who does that, but I can name off several people that the lifestyle they lead and, and what is important to them and what they spend their time and their money and their resources on would indicate that they are worshiping things of that, is their beauty, their, how they look and how they appear, their health even. You see, what we worship shapes our identity. What we worship determines who we are and whose we are. Now remember, the storm is still raging, okay? The storm is still raging. The ship is cracking. It's a wooden 45-foot-long ship. It, I mean, imagine, I mean, the wind in and of itself has got to be just blowing out your ears almost. And then you talk about the ship cracking and groaning and stressing and and the waves slapping up and over it, the salt water stinging and spraying your face, and you're tasting it. And This is still going on, and they're trying to cast lots and determine who is the cause of this. Jonah finally speaks in verse 9 for the first time in our story. And he says, I'm a Hebrew, I worship the Lord, the God of the heavens, who made the sea and the dry land. You see, Jonah doesn't speak when God asked him to go to Nineveh. He spoke with his actions by getting up and going the wrong way. He didn't speak to the captain when the captain shook him awake to get up and pray. And not even as they began to cast lots. It's only after the lots were cast and there was nowhere to go. And it was all pointing at him. So let's examine his answer. You may say, well, hey, it seems like a pretty good answer. I'm a Hebrew. I worship the Lord, the God of the heavens, who made the sea and the dry land. Except, let's look closer. How does he answer first? He gives a two-part answer if you break it down. He says, first of all, I'm a Hebrew. And then second of all, I worship the Lord. First of all, where I am from, where I was born, and my people are more important for me to answer in this moment under intense stress and duration. When the sailors are very keen in on, hey, somebody's God is causing this. We already know that. And his first answer out of his mouth is, well, I'm a Hebrew. I can imagine that Jonah was probably starting to feel some stress and pressure at this moment. And they say that trials reveal the true character of someone. 
That old saying, when the tide goes out, you see who still has her pants on, right? All of those kinds of sayings that we're familiar with today. And Jonah says, I'm a Hebrew. You see, he's answering this question has to do with his ethnicity, his nationality, his culture. And again, like our article earlier, not bad things. Things that we can be grateful for, things that we can be thankful for, things that we should do to try to help and prosper our land and and pray for and do our part in that as a good citizen. But out of the overflow of Jonah's heart, as Christ says, our mouth speaks in Luke 6.45, he answers first, I'm a Hebrew. Daniel Timmer says this about Jonah, since he identifies himself first ethnically, then religiously, we may infer that his identity is foremost in his self-identity. It's as if Jonah was first waving his country's flag in the face of the sailors instead of introducing to them the answer to the storm, his Savior, his Father God. For Jonah in this moment where he was to blame for the storm and the situation they were all in, it was more important for him to state his nationality. And by the way, he had no control or say over his nationality, right? We don't. We didn't get to say where we were born or where we grew up. Now maybe some of us moved here. Then maybe we could say we have some blame in that or some some control over that. But where we're at today is by God's good grace and his providence and design. And so, you know, the other thing got me thinking about too, this is a side note. We're one of the youngest countries in the world. And yet we can come off as we're the ones who are the only ones here and everybody else needs to listen and do what we say. Saying that I'm a Hebrew back then would, would make some, probably give the sailors some assumptions uh, that they worshipped one God instead of many gods. They probably heard how this God of the Hebrews had delivered them out of Egypt many years before. I dealt, deals with them very severely when they don't obey him. So these stories might be running through the sailors' minds as they're thinking through this. See, I'm concerned that we're more like Jonah here than we might want to admit in the deepest parts of our hearts. Let me put it to you this way. Ask us this question. If we were to be asked, what is our mission or business? Perhaps our first answer might be, I'm a, I'm a banker. I'm an insurance agent. I'm I'm a Walmartian. I'm a vendor. I, I'm a mom. I'm a dad. I'm a farmer. I'm a veteran. I'm a Republican. I'm a Democrat. And yet, when we're asked that question, or we're probably not under near the same stress that Jonah's under right here, right? Did you know that there's nowhere in Scripture that says that one is a Christian based on where they were born, where they are a citizen, or which political party they support? But Scripture is very clear about what and who should be concerning 
us and what we should be supporting. Romans 1.16, Paul here, who was a Roman citizen, something to be very proud of during his time. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. He was a Roman citizen who was a Hebrew, a Jew. First to the Jew and also to the Greek. And when scripture is saying here, when he is saying this in Romans 1, that is saying to all nations, to everyone. Acts 1.8 says we are to be as witnesses to the remotest parts of the earth, not just our town, our county, our state, our country, but to the remotest parts of the earth. And again, we should be absolutely grateful for our country. We should absolutely be grateful for those who served to help it be free so that we can have the rights to be here for the veterans that have served, to those who have given it all, to those who serve in our local and civic governments. Absolutely. I'm not saying, I'm not saying that we should be unpatriotic or un-American in this. I'm saying let's keep our priorities straight. Are we as concerned with letting people know who we serve and introducing them to him as opposed to where we live? When we surrender our life to Jesus Christ, confessing and believing him as our Lord and Savior, we became citizens in his kingdom first and foremost. Are there really any rights? Ponder on that. What rights do we really truly have when we look at it through the lens of Scripture? Well, what God promises, we have. Yes, those are privileges He gives us through His promises that He will always uphold. But should the day come where we can no longer do this in freedom. Should the day come where we can't own guns anymore legally, should the day come where fill in the blank. Should we be fighting for our rights as citizens over fighting for the ability and the opportunity to worship Christ and to share him with others? I'm not saying we give up the one in place of the other. I'm saying let's keep our priorities straight. Let's keep our priorities straight. I would hate for my life and my actions and my choices be a hindrance to somebody choosing Christ because all they see is the American flag on me instead of who I serve and love. I'm not saying we move our flag. We live in the United States. And I'm glad that we do. But I also know that the church is growing and our faith is growing far more in places where they don't have the freedoms that we have. Where when they choose to serve Christ and follow him, they literally are having to say no to everything else. To their parents to their siblings, sometimes to their children and their spouses, to their careers. And yet that is where Christianity is flourishing and growing because when they make the decision, they know I'm all in and there's no turning back. And here we are with the freedom 
to do this, something they long for. We have multiple Bibles on their shelves and they're clamoring to just get their hands on one. And we can choose to follow God on Sunday and walk away the rest of the week and come back on Sunday because there's no commitment. We've got no skin in the game. You know, by portraying ourselves as with our ethnicity first, uh, I, I was curious, so I did some research on how the rest of the world might perceive us as Americans. And this is, this is person, Associated Press reporters who went throughout the world and interviewed different people from different socioeconomic classes, different countries, and different things like that. And much of the world sees us, these are kind of the top things that they see us as. Number one was arrogant. We're good tippers when we travel. We're technologically advanced. We're all about gun ownership. I'm not opposed to owning guns. I own some myself. Hamburgers. I'm good with that too. (laughs) Materialism. Big buildings. Movies, music. And that there is an American dream ideal that tends to hold us together. As a whole, other nations might see us as Christian. But we know living here, that's not the facts. Galatians 3.28 reminds us that there is no Jew or Greek or slave or free or male or female American, Mexican, Canadian, European, Asian. Since you are all one in Christ Jesus. Our relationship with him should unite us with with believers, brothers and sisters around the world, far more so than where we live or where we were born. Christ being our common denominator should be that. And if you've had the opportunity to travel abroad out of this country and meet another believer, I can tell you it's true. And it's amazing. I can't even speak their language. (laughs) But those opportunities to get to sit in the home the size of my living room with unbelievers who are sharing their meal for the week with you because you're there helping them work on your church or your medical mission or whatever it is. And you're just trying to converse and get past the language barrier. But there's the light of Jesus Christ showing out of them and flowing through them in their desire to serve and love. You can sit in that room and be at total peace because they love the same Savior as you because he paid the price on the cross for them just like he did for us. Back to Jonah, the second part of his answer. I worship the Lord, the God of the heavens, who made the sea and the dry land. And remember, the storm is still raging here. And with this part of Jonah's answer, he's finally starting to come come clean with the truth of what is at stake and why. God had to point the finger at him to the casting of lots. Since he boarded the ship, his behavior was odd at best with these sailors. Pays his fare, goes down, goes to sleep. Who is this guy? He clearly didn't look like a criminal on the run. 
as of how he was dressed as a prophet. He didn't have the mannerisms and, and things of, you know, things that they might think of of somebody wanting to hide and take a trip like this and go down in the bottom and go to where they were going. You can almost hear him say this part of the answer like trying to say it under his breath like they, mo- they might not catch on. Try to let the storm cover it up or <clears throat> I worship the Lord. He's trying to not give in to oh the storm, you know, the God who made it. That's who I worship. Even the men, then the men, verse 10, were seized by a great fear and said to him, what is this you've done? What is this you've done? The men knew he was fleeing from the Lord's presence because he had told them. Well, can you, I would love to interview these sailors someday, and we're going to get to, because later on we'll see how they, they get saved. God uses Jonah's stupidity (laughs) to still convert the sailors (laughs) as we'll see here in a week or two i would love to what was going through your mind (laughs) the storm's raging it's a supernatural storm you literally cast dice roll dice cast lots and all fingers point out at this guy jonah And he's like, yeah, I worship the God that made the sea, the land where we all wish we were right now. At the storm, yeah, that's him. It's because I'm running from him. (laughs) What? What have you done? What have you done? All the stories that they'd heard about how God dealt with these Hebrew people when they disobeyed him and now they're caught up in it too. For the unbelieving sailors, it was crystal clear that Jonah was God's, and God was very willing to deal with him severely. And obviously, Jonah wasn't quite in agreement with them at this point. So let me ask us, whose are you? Who are you? Who you are equals Whose you are. Join me with a little bit of self-reflection here. Maybe it would clue you in if you're like, oh, I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's hard for us to get past that denial to get up out of the bottom of that ship asleep and really truly come to terms with whose we are, who we are. If we do not belong to Christ or are not living like we belong to him, Here's some things that could be true of us. Maybe you see some issues and problems going on around you, the brokenness, the hurting, the pain, but you don't feel like it's your problem. You live in denial or passivity on these kingdom issues. That's somebody else's problem, not mine. Maybe you find yourself being hostile to others whether it be a political issue, whether it be an immigration issue, an English issue versus a another language issue, 
how you perceive that people treat you when you drive, on whether or not they obey traffic laws when you're around or not, whether or not you obey traffic laws and do the same thing to others. Our environment and circumstance feels like it determines our value, our worth, how we're doing at school or work or in our parents' eyes or in our friends' eyes or determines how we feel about ourselves. Rarely at peace or satisfied. Ethnicity or nationalism trumps our faith, no pun intended. Who are you? Whose are you? Should our biggest concern be over whether or not we have a huge wall between our border and Mexico? Or loving those that are here and sharing Christ with them, that God's brought the nations to our doorstep in Knoll and beyond? Living a life as a citizen of God's kingdom redeemed by Jesus Christ would look like this, that there's confidence and peace in spite of the storms. It doesn't mean there's not pain. It doesn't mean there's not struggle, but there's a confidence and peace because you know where you belong and who you belong to. I've attended three services of life celebrations this past week and one wedding and celebrated the year anniversary of my brother-in-law going home to Jesus. There's a very apparent and strong difference for those who are celebrating a wedding or celebrating the life of somebody who's gone on before, who knows who they are, whose they are, versus somebody who doesn't. There's a steadiness. There's a, welcome, there's a welcoming. There's a loving of others. Their worth is determined by the person and work of Jesus Christ. Not their spouse. Not how well they performed at work this week. Not whether or not they have a certain number in their bank account. Are we about knowing and treasuring Jesus Christ above all else? Do we make intentional daily choices that reflect this? In person, online? <laughs> Something happens to us when we get on a screen, isn't there? We type and say and do things that would never come out of our mouth if we were talking to that person one-on-one. -on -one. I'm not saying that's for everybody, but there is definitely something that happens there. I believe we should be just as careful online as if we were face-to-face -face with that person. We will be held accountable for every word we speak, whether typed or audibly. Deep in the very innermost places of our hearts, may our answer firmly be, I am a follower of Jesus Christ. I belong to him alone. He alone is the only answer to the storms of life. Justin, is that song available? Awesome, thank you. We're going to have a song available. If this would just be a time for you to just want to reflect and pray. And maybe you're going, you know what, Lord, I don't know. What am I placing above you in my life? Is it my job? Is it my marriage? Is it my friendships? Is it my finances? Is it 
my health and beauty? Is it my country? Lord, is there something that I am placing above you in my life right now? I would just encourage you with me that we would just take some time in reflecting in that, meditating on that very fact, ask him to reveal to you. Is getting your way, your own selfish pride, keeping you from truly being his? So while this song plays, um, this is open if you want it. We have a prayer room in the back if you just need some tissues and a door closed. I'll be up on the front if you want somebody to pray with you. Kurt's in the back and Kayleen if you need somebody to pray with you there. We've got Tony on this side and Gary on this side if you'd rather go to one of them. But... I believe that this is probably a daily choice for each one of us. Today, I'm going to get up and Christ is going to be who I belong to and who I serve. Or I'm going to be more worried about my work day. Or I'm going to be more worried about my health. Or I'm going to be more worried about whether or not my kids obey. Or I'm going to be more worried about fill in the blank. So just take some time. Ask God to reveal to you what might be in the way of him truly being your Lord and Savior. If you don't know him at all, and you've been trying to fill that gap with pursuits of the world, with sex, drugs, alcohol, you name it. If you're going to be honest with yourself, you know those things are not going to satisfy you. They are empty, shallow idols. And only Christ truly can. And if you would choose to confess and believe in Him as your Lord and Savior, the mercy that God is going to show Jonah in the coming verses, the mercy that God has for the sailors by using Jonah's disobedience to convert them to Him, is the same mercy that God offered on the cross through Jesus Christ. It's about a relationship, not duty. Take these few minutes and then I'll close this in prayer at the end of the song. So Father, we pray this morning, God, that we would learn from the example of Jonah that we would see your great mercy, your providence, and how you bring our sin to light, not to shame us, but to change us. So we might recognize our hopeless state and realize, Lord, that it is only through you and because of you that we have hope and we have purpose. And it is only through you and because of you we can be saved. Let us not chase shadows of you. Let us go to you, the source. Thank you for your free gift, Lord, of salvation. Thank you for your mercy along the way when we lose our way like Jonah 
wrap ourselves in the cloak of a flag or a career or something else as opposed to wrapping ourselves in your righteousness and grace. So Lord, let us, as we leave this place, display you. Let our lives and our words show you to others. That we would, yes, be good citizens of a nation that you established and founded and you give us so many freedoms of. But never, ever put that above knowing you and making you know. In your precious and holy name, amen.